AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Charleston Orwig. Passionate about agriculture, food, and strategic communications. Ready to protect and enhance your brand. Charleston Orwig is a full-service communications agency with a dedicated team of reputation management experts. Our passion for the food system is surpassed only by the success of our clients. For more information about how we can help you, visit charlestonorwig.com. Michael Toscano, the uh, president of the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Glad to be here, Ken. Thank you very much. I want to ask you some questions about unmanned vehicles. And one of the things I note is that you don't use the term drone. Um, Why is that? Well, Ken, the majority of people, when you say the word drone, the first thing that comes into their mind is something that's negative. They think military, hostile, weaponized, large, and autonomous. And many of the systems that are going to be deployed in a commercial application are going to be none of those. As a matter of fact, they could be mostly less than 55 pounds from an aerial standpoint of information and a few pounds if you're doing applications. And when you say the word drone, uh, again, with the way that it should be stated is an unmanned aircraft system. And the international world calls them remotely piloted aircraft systems. And the word system is the key part. Because when you hear the word drone, you think of something that's flying in the sky. That's just the truck. When you look at it from a system standpoint, it's the thing that is flying in the sky, the platform, a mission package payload, a communication system, a ground station, and most importantly, a human being. Why the human being? What is the involvement of the person during the actual flight itself? Well, You know, farmers know how to farm better than anyone else. And so what you're trying to give them is information. So, and I've also always learned that if you give good information to smart people, they make smart decisions. So what a farmer is looking at is what information will help him make, he or she make better choices in what they need to do in order to have a better crop. And so when you look at an unmanned aircraft system, it has two basic functions. One, it can be a uh, situational awareness or information gathering system, and it can also be a delivery system. Those are the two things that make this very highly desirable. And in many cases, they are more effective, more efficient, and they can save lives. Well, let's turn to the vision that I think many people have now, that you'd have this small unmanned aircraft flying over your fields and either doing some type of sensing or mapping. Um, Mm -hmm. Why do you think aerial scouting technology is going to catch on with farmers? Well, again, as I said, the farmer, if he has better, he or she has better information, will make better decisions in a timely manner. So if the first thing I need to know about the the soil is what is the the, uh, composition of that soil, it may be that if I want to grow corn or I want to grow sweet potatoes or I want to grow beans, the soil content that I want it to be is a certain level, and it may need more potassium or more nitrates or some other uh, element that makes it the ideal soil for, for growing the crop that I want to grow. So that information is key and critical. And then so if the farmer doesn't apply a certain amount of, of uh, nutrients or whatever, then he can go back 
you know, a week or two or sometime later and take the same exact measurement and see, in fact, if the ground is the way that he, he or she wants it to be to grow the best crops. So that's one possibility. Once the crops are growing, now you want to, if there's uh, uh, infestation, you may want to be able to determine where the bugs are. And you may find that the bugs are only on this one-eighth of the crop, not the whole crop. So therefore, you only have to apply the pesticides to that one portion of the crop and not the whole crop, which means you save on pesticides and you put less pesticides in the ground, which is very good because that's less groundwater contamination. And the other thing is that some of these systems that we're talking about are going to be rotary wing type aircraft, which means that they can hover maybe three, four, five, ten feet above the, the, the crop in that more of the application will go on the, the leaves and where it's supposed to be or on the crop and not on the, in the ground. So now you have a better application system that might be available from the vertical as opposed to the horizontal. And I believe in the future you're going to see a collaboration of ground robotics and, and uh, air robotics collaborating together to assist the farmer. Are there regulatory issues with the FAA or the privacy of landowners that are unaddressed here? This is a, um, a sensitive area, Ken, in that there are no rules right now or laws that state that you can or cannot. In other words, if you're flying for recreational purposes, you can fly and there is no regulatory aspect from the FAA. But if you're doing it from a commercial standpoint, then there are rules right now that says you cannot do that until we understand that it's safe. And this is all about safety. So, but when you look at the standpoint of farming, and the, if the farmer owns all the land and can make an assessment of from a safety standpoint, some people believe that he can fly that right now. So this is a gray area. It's, if you look at the letter of the law from the FAA, it says any commercial applications cannot be flown without authority from the FAA. So the question is, is this something for a commercial aspect if the farmer owns it and is doing it on his own property? So this is one of the areas that we're still figuring out. I'm a pilot, and I do recall that you can't fly an aircraft below a certain height mm -hmm. over population. Well, again, most fixed wings do not fly below 400 feet, okay? Uh, and if you fly in an endangering way, uh, you, you are held accountable. So in most, the only things that usually fly below 400 feet are rotary wings, helicopters. And there are certain aspects where you can't fly, like over power lines or, or things of that nature, where there's, there is altitude that, of over 500 feet that you have to fly. So this is one of those areas where you usually don't find a whole lot of fixed wings that are flying below and, unless they're crop applicators. And I know that they don't call them crop dusters. I was, I was educated on that. They're crop, crop applicators that would fly in that space. But for the most part, a farmer knows what's flying, you know, inside 400 feet in his, over his fields. What's the cost for a farmer to buy and utilize an unmanned aircraft for doing some of the jobs we've outlined? Um, well, they can range from the hundreds to the tens of thousands, okay? And really, the platform isn't so much the issue as it is the mission package payloads. Most people now assume that we can fly, drive, and navigate unmanned systems pretty regularly. The, the, the maturation of the technology is there. The question is how safely can we do it? And when you look at the technical issues that we're facing now, it isn't the flying part. It's going to be spectrum. Uh, frequency allocations, it's going to be power, uh, secure wireless comms, things of this nature. But the idea of being able to fly, we can do that very, very easily. And then the question comes, 
to what size are you going to need in order to do um, the size of the fields and the crops. You know, Japan has been flying UAS for over 20 years, and they have over 10,000 UAS operators. But many of their farms are smaller and they're irregular. They're on the sides of mountains, and this is the only technology that would allow them to do that in a cost-effective way. Well, Michael, you're the first guy in a while I've talked to who could truly blue-sky things, and <laughs> I wonder if you could move into this area. Why would farmers want the drone, the aircraft themselves? It seems to me they just want the data. So is this industry quickly headed to just contractors who would sell that data to growers? Ken, I think that is going to be the model of the future, or that will be the model that will be most predominant. I think you're exactly right. Just like with cell service or whatnot, you're right. All the farmer needs is good information. How he gets it, he really doesn't care. As long as he can get it in a very cost-effective way, that he can utilize it to have higher yields and better crops, that's what he's, he or she is looking to do, and this technology will allow them to do that in, in a cost-effective manner. So the farmer will take any technology that helps him grow more food at, at a, and get a better price. Well, let's go to uh, your industry. What do you see as the potential for growth here? And right now, who are the biggest players? Well, first of all, we're, until we get into the national airspace, we're not going to fully be able to experience this. But I would draw an analogy. If you look at the first cell phones that we had, they were the size of a loaf of bread. They had a very long antenna. They dropped out more than 50% of the time, and the quality wasn't really wasn't that good. But as you got to the second, third, and fourth generations, they've become now something that we almost can't live without. And the technology is very robust now, and they're looking to do many more other things with it as well. There are applications of this technology that we haven't even thought of. Who would have thought five years ago writing, writing apps would be a six-figure salary? So as the technology matures and as the technology is utilized, you're going to start finding more and more ways to utilize this. And capital uh, is, is gained uh, with innovation. So this is a revolutionary-type technology on an evolutionary path. And the reason I say that, this isn't the first piece of technology we've ever experienced, and it's going through the exact same uh, uh, resistance growth uh, series that you would find in any technology, whether it be the, the computer or the Internet. Like 50 years ago, people said, oh, I would never put my banking information or personal information on this. Well, nowadays, that's what all people do. They won't do it any other way. So this is going to be a normal progression that we go through with any, and I call it a, dis, a, a revolutionary type technology. Some people call it a disruptive technology. And it will be a disruption because there's going to be a difference of how we do things than we did them in the past. And that's a good thing. One of the major claims of late that's sparked our imagination is that Amazon has said it's going to be able to deliver packages with uh, unmanned aircraft in five years. Is that realistic? Well, when uh, what Jeff Bezos and Amazon showed you on 60 Minutes was in a crawl-walk-run phase. They showed you the run, okay? The run was to be able to deliver a package uh, within 10 miles, uh, visual, uh, beyond visual line of sight, and he used the word autonomous. I don't like that word because I'm not sure even he knows what it is, but it went from point A to point B and then returned. And there is a human being someplace in the system, either one, to give it the coordinates to tell it where to go, two, to make sure it has the ability to interject with it at some point in time if it had to, 
signals that need to be gained, and there's other aspects. So that's why I don't like the word autonomous. I say semi-autonomous, understanding that the machine, or automated, because the machine is doing some facet of it. But there is a human being that's either in or on the loop. Now, can you do that in five years? Technology-wise, the answer is yes. What we have to determine is, can you do it in a safe, acceptable manner? And that is the issue that we're talking about. This is all about safety. And right now, we don't have enough statistical data or information to say how safe is safe. If I could just take a moment to say we have a technology called the automobile, and we know through over 100 and some odd years since uh, 1903 when Henry Ford uh, came up with the assembly line that there is a risk acceptance with the, with the, the technology called the automobile. We lose over 32,000 lives a year in this country. We have over 6.3 million accidents, and it costs us almost $300 billion in medical costs and damages, but yet we drive our car every day. So apparently the upside of the technology is great enough or sufficient enough that we're willing to accept the cause and effect. Well, we don't know what those numbers are or what that acceptability is for something called unmanned aircraft systems or unmanned systems in general. Well, to stay with this point, there is a company called Kinsey Manufacturing in eastern Iowa mm -hmm. that is projecting that they're going to be... Um, selling autonomous vehicles that will plant your crop and transport grain uh, in the next few years. And other companies seem to uh, be shying away from it because of what you said. They have a concern that the liability will be so great that the practicality can't be appreciated. Do you think the two will merge at some point? Uh, I think the answer is yes. If you look at the progression, like I said, the early cell phones, people have said, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, but maybe the second and third or fourth generation will get to the point where it can do those things. And every day uh, we're coming up with new technologies. Uh, Moore's Law that basically says every 18 to 24 months we double the computational capabilities at half the cost. Well, if you go back 10 years or five evolutions of Moore's Law and look where we were 10 years ago and look where we could be in another three to five evolutions of Moore's Laws in the future, then yes, that is definitely within the realm of possibility to happen. And like you said, I'm a very proactive or positive uh, blue sky type guy, and I've seen the advancement of this technology, and it's great. So in finality, do you think a farmer is going to be able to use this technology on their operation to get data for themselves, but at the same time insulate themselves from liability issues and also prevent others from uh, utilizing the same technology to uh, either spy on their farm or steal their data? That is an excellent question, Ken, and I'm not sure I can answer the last part of that. Uh, I do believe farmers will embrace, they will embrace any technology that allows them to farm in a much more effective and efficient way. Okay, that's that's without a doubt. And from and the reason farming is, I think, is going to be so critical in the next thirty some odd years is right now we have 7.1 billion people in the world. They project by the year 2050 we're going to have nine billion people in the world. That's a net gain of about two billion people. That means we've got to grow a lot more food in the next 35, 36 years if we're going to feed those people and not have starvation. So this is going to any technology that will allow farmers not just here but globally to be able to produce food is going to be keen critical. And the other thing is, you know, most farmers right now, and I, I hope I get this right, and you probably know more than me, are, are pretty uh, up there in age. I think the average farmer is someplace between 55 and 60. Well, one of the things that would keep young people on the farm 
is technology like this because robotics and unmanned systems are cool. And if you could tell a young individual that they could stay on the farm, use this technology, and produce food and do something great, that's very attractive. We see it in the 4-H clubs. We see it in the, the young folks coming forward. They like this technology, and they're born with this technology. Uh, these younger generations, I call them digital natives. Uh, I have a grandson that uh, at 16 months of age could use an iPad, and he's three years old now, and it's amazing what he can do. And I just imagine in 13 more years, you know, when he's told he's got to get in a car, uh, and has to drive and not be connected, he'll have convulsions because all his life he's always known being connected, and that's something that he's going to desire as he goes forward. So I think for the future generations of farmers, this is something that is attractive. Michael Toscano, president of the Association for Unmanned Vehicle Systems International, a delight to talk to you. Thank you very much for being with us on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by Charleston Orwig. For more information about how we can help you, visit charlestonorwig.com. I'm Ken Root.